Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to All About HR. Super excited about the conversation today. Our guest is Luttrell Toller. He heads up a Silicon Beach-based consultancy called True Talk Advisor with an expertise in talent acquisition. Clients include venture-funded startups and additionally works with media and traditional companies as well. He also has a coaching practice where he helps job seekers transition careers. I am exceptionally excited for this conversation Mostly because Luttrell is the reason I love recruiters. If you follow me on Twitter, if you ever see me interacting on LinkedIn, I'm always hitting up the recruiters. Why? Because of this guy, because of the experience I had uh, that just really opened me up. And you hear so many things about recruiters, and it's one of the toughest jobs you can have out there. So I always want to give a little bit of love, and I'm super excited to welcome to the show Luttrell Toller. Welcome. Tom, thanks for that intro, man. If I ever need an agent, or when I need an agent... (laughs) You're, you're the guy. All right, Luttrell, we always start our show. What are you listening to? Uh, I'm listening to, so I've been in the podcast as of late, go figure. And so my most recent discovery has been one, I think the guy's name is Ryan Holiday, the Daily Stoic. And uh, finding a lot of inspiration from that. And there's another one that I'm listening to, uh, Scott Galloway, former NYU professor. Um, so sort of mix, mixes uh, business and humor and, and current events, all the things I, that I like to talk about. Love it. That's awesome. That's a new one for me. I had heard, I'd heard about the uh, Scott Galloway, but I have not seen the Daily Stoic. So I'll check that out. All right, let's, uh, let's dig into the conversation a little bit. Silicon Beach, tell me, tell me about that. Like, where is Silicon Beach? What is Silicon Beach? So, so Silicon Beach is the, is the catch-all phrase for the startup ecosystem in Santa Monica, Venice, West LA, Playa Vista, but it's come to be known as basically the LA tech scene. So I probably even expand that to include downtown LA, but it, but it's essentially the LA entrepreneurial ecosystem. That's awesome. And it, it, you've been, how long have you been there in, in Los Angeles? Well, I've, I've been immersed in, in Silicon Beach specifically, probably since about 2010. Um, my office is in downtown Santa Monica, which is which is considered the heart of Silicon Beach. But I've been doing something recruiting or staffing related since about since about nineteen ninety eight. That is a uh, that's right. You've seen you've seen it all. Yeah, I've, I've seen the I've seen the dot com, the robust era during the dot com era. I've seen the dot com crash. I've seen the 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 recovery from that, and and uh, I, I've seen all this, the associated cycles that go with it. So it's it's. It's been a fun ride. It sounds like, you know, the ups and downs of the recruiting world, you've seen it all through that ride. What's the, this is the right way to ask, but what's the best part of that ride professionally? Is it when the economy is going up? Is it when it's going down from a recruiting and a talent acquisition standpoint? It's interesting on, on when the economy is down, which it hasn't been in a long time now, that's interesting because fewer companies are hiring. But but what's happened recently Looking back at 1999 and 2000, where the dot-com companies were linked to the stock market, and when they went down, the stock market crashed. What's different now is most of these companies are VC-backed, meaning they could flame out, and 
will have very little impact on you, for example, or on the on the market at large. It's private money right. that's being that's going up in flames. So so that's actually uh, that's probably a good thing. Also, um, seeing how the startups have made have made what they do just sort of a an experiment, right? Like they've got the template down on how to start a company, right? So it's essentially a startup. And just so for your listeners, what we talk about when we're talking about a startup, it's a company that has an hypothesis on a business model and they're testing that hypothesis with the market. And as they refine that hypothesis, they either figure out that they were wrong and they need to pivot or that they were somewhat right and then they need to scale, right? Those are both terms, pivot and scale, right? So when we talk about startups, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about sort of like a mom and pop company. We're talking about companies who have an idea and think they can disrupt an industry with their idea and they want to figure out a business model and scale it. I mean, that's it sounds like it's a very specific model that whether you're a tech startup or HR or a tech startup for you know some sort of satellite uh, technology, it sounds like the base model's pretty pretty organized. Like every most of the people know what it is. Is that accurate? It, absolutely. It's it's the template from from the the folks at Stanford probably really made this a study. Right. They, they realize that mm-hmm. there's a certain model and a methodology and you go through this phase on the recruiting side where that where that becomes relevant is you have to hire people based on where you are in the product life cycle. Right. So at the very beginning of your product life cycle, when it's just four or five of you working out of a coffee shop, the employees are very different than when you're at 60, 70, 80, 90 people. Right. So knowing when to hire the right people at the right time is key. And hiring the wrong people at the wrong time can be toxic to your organization, right? So if you hire a big company person and you're in your hyper growth phase and that big company person is used to resources and processes and all those things, CCing nine people in an email to get things done, that's going to create maybe a bit of toxicity with the people who joined the company to get away from that, right? So you've got to know when the right time is to hire the right so if you're so you're in the early phase, you're in the coffee shop and you're going straight from coffee shop out. What are some is it are you looking more for skill set or experience? What are you looking for when you're when you're looking to bring talent in at, at that phase? Like what's like the defining or is or is there not a defining skill or resume or piece that you're looking? For? So when, when the companies are engaging me, I'm finding out where they are again in their sort of product life cycle. And ideally would collaborate together the type of person they need. Right. So from from the skill set to the persona, we need to figure that out. And then once we figure that, so the, the company that's coming out of the coffee shop and maybe they're going from the coffee shop to the co-working, the, there's usually cycle is it's like from the living room to the coffee shop, to the hotel lobby, to the co-working space, to their own offices, to the exit. That's usually Right. So depending on where they are on that on that timeline determines the type of people they need. So I'll collaborate with them and let them know what we can get. So if they're coming straight from the coffee, if they're still in the coffee shop, then they need people who are open to taking risks. And maybe those people are people who've already who've always wanted to work for an entrepreneurial company. Or maybe those people have been part of an exit already. Right. You find people. I've talked to people who've been part of two and three exits to me, which is amazing. And they still want to work. And those are some of the best people to deal with because they're picking their next job based on actually what they want to do 
as opposed to what they have to do. So maybe if they're coming from the coffee shop, you know, we're finding we're finding co-founders in addition to employees. Right. We're finding people who can give them credibility in addition to employees. So and they're coming back in with more eyes wide open, too. Yes. They're not going along, hitting all the bumps on the road. They know what those bumps are and they're sidestepping them and they're able to to, to move a little bit quicker. Ideally, yes. Ideally. Yeah. And speed is, speed is paramount. If we're talking startups, speed is, you know, the idea is to move as much friction out of the process as possible. Right. And that includes the talent acquisition. And with startups, everyone's in talent acquisition. It's not just, you know, they may bring in some recruiters or have a talent acquisition team. But when you're a startup where you're a founder, senior level executive, everyone's a recruiter. Talent acquisition team can facilitates and actually recruits. But really, at the end of the day, everyone has to recruit. And everyone's in sales. Every, and, there you <laughs> go. So when you're trying to go quick, when you're trying to hire in this, you know, this, this environment you're talking about, what's that hiring process look like? I'm sure it's not three weeks and you're going to meet 37 people and you're going to do like, what does that hiring process look like at, at, that, at that early scale? Now, generally speaking, the hiring process is a shit show regardless. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's something I want to talk a lot about. Yeah, yeah. For in, sure. In most instances. But but I find that startups are the most receptive to removing that friction from the from the hiring process. So, you know, it varies from, from company to company. But if they're if I'm advising them, I advise them. And, the, you know, I've been doing this, I guess, learning this, being in Hollywood and learning in L.A., like what's taught me is to approach it like the movie business. And I've said this over and over and it, it still works where to the extent that you can, you want to make every interview like an audition. So if you're hiring engineers, you want to put them in a scenario where they do what engineers do, right? Like, so this, this whiteboard behind me, for example, that might be part of the interview where you have them do something on the whiteboard. I had a client that hired a lot of electrical engineers, for example. And, you know, these are people that are brilliant, they don't make eye contact when they interview and probably would be considered interpersonal skill wise, not good interviews, but you put them with the whiteboard and you start asking them engineering questions and then magic yeah. happens, right? So that's, an, that's what I mean by audition, where you approximate, yes. the interview process should approximate what they're actually gonna do on the job. And if you do that, you'll find, you'll find these hidden gems. You'll find people that you wouldn't have hired normally because you're doing, you're going the, so-called traditional interview process. But I think startups more and more sort of get that. And if they don't get it, they, they're the most, most receptive. That's one of the reasons why I like playing in the startup space because they learn from me and I learn from them. Would you say there's a little bit more innovation in talent acquisition in that space purely because of the need to remove friction and which in turn, you just organically come up with more streamlined ways to figure out who the best candidate is quicker because you can't afford to hire the wrong person. You can't afford to wait too long. Have you seen that that's created innovation in and of itself in the recruiting? You know, I haven't seen much innovation in the recruiting space itself. Full stop. I'll stop. I, I haven't seen that much innovation in recruiting. I've seen, you know, there's been enablement technologies with video and, and assessment tools, but really I haven't, and now there's some interesting stuff with machine learning and AI, but but nothing that I would call groundbreaking. But I will say that those companies, those innovative companies are the most open 
to doing things differently and moving faster and moving and not having nine interview steps or having friction where it's not needed. In that instance, the innovation, the innovative companies whose business is based on doing something new and different tend to be the most open. That makes a ton of sense. Looking at your tagline, helping people and organizations grow, your True Talk Advisors website, I, I absolutely love that statement. And I want to dig into that. But our listeners aren't here to hear me tell stories. They're here to learn from smart folks like you. But I do have to pause and tell a little bit about, you know, I'm going to back up and tell a story about how we met. I was in New York City and you had found me on contract work. Totally. It wasn't even your area of expertise, but you, you had a network and you worked it and you found me for a role in Los Angeles. I was in New York, never going to leave New York. I was happy as can be. And that experience, I, I do want to talk about your experience to me because it really did uh, change me. So I'm going to take a quick break now that I've teased it. And then we're going to get in and we'll talk about that story. We're going to dig in, get a little less me and a little bit more Lutro. We'll be right back. All right. This is the HR Hot Sauce with Lutrell Toller. Lutrell, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's get after it. What's the best job you've ever had? The one I have right now, owner and founder of True Talk Advisors. That is a great job, Lutrell. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Gosh, that's a tough one. We'll come back to that one. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Uh, actually, I like working on rainy days because it encourages me to be inside. I'm not tempted to go outside. I'm in sunny Southern California, and it's it's always nice out. So that temptation is gone when it's raining. So you're always tempted is what I'm hearing. Yes. How can someone make your day at work? Um, by saying I help them. Awesome. Best useless skill? Best useless skill is um, I freestyle rap horribly. That's a bad skill, if you will. See, that's an example of it. Man, this guy's good. How that rhyme was? I think I know the answer to this next question based on that rhyme. Mild, medium, hot, or nuclear? A mild. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? What's important to you? Awesome. You did it, Luttrell. Oh, no, wait. Let's look back. Okay. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Thanks for that call out. I hear that a lot on conference calls, like the most corporate thing to say ever. That's a new one. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yuck. All right. You did it. You're off the hot seat. Let's get back to the episode. All right. We are back. I was just getting into talking about how I met Luttrell. He is the reason I love recruiters to this day because of his approach. So Luttrell found me. I wasn't really looking to move to Los Angeles. I said, oh, hey, I know you're in LA. No chance. I'm a New Yorker, man. That you're not going to get me to budge. He said, he sold me on this opportunity because he knew exactly what the clients needed. And he, he got me excited about it. And not only did he get me excited about it, he vetted me. He was working for the company. He was working for his client. He put me through the ringer to find out if I was a good client. As soon as he found that I was a strong candidate, he went to work. And what I mean went to work was like, we weren't friends. <laughs> he made me study. He made me prepare. He quizzed me. He made sure I knew exactly what I was talking about before my interviews, before I went into the role. He made sure I knew exactly what the role's expectations were so that I didn't take a job, move across country, and then show up at his doorstep and strangle him because he moved me across country <laughs> to a bad opportunity. And the whole process just blew me away. I'd never worked with anybody like that. And it all culminated. I was sitting in a... Uh, I was sitting in a bar in East Village with my buddy, 
And uh, I got a call, not from Lucho, from some crazy 310 number. And I picked it up and I heard nothing. And then I start hearing 8 Mile by, by Eminem just slowly starting to build. And I was like, who is this? I'm going to hang up. And then I heard Luttrell's voice. He goes, just, just listen. Let it sink in. And we sat there on the phone listening to 8 Mile by Eminem for probably a minute and a half. And finally, he's like, you're going to L.A., dude. You got the job. We got the job. And that was it. And it was, to this day, one of my absolute favorite moments of my whole career. Um, just, it was awesome uh, he- hearing that song in my ear. I would play it, but my guess is I can't get the copyrights to this podcast here. But uh, I, I really have to tell that story because you truly embodied that quote that I saw, helping people and organizations grow. So um, I did want to share that, and you know, as uh, as I have a million times, thank you again for that. That's, that that's story makes me feel good. And, you know, again, don't, you, you left some of the parts. Like we showed you L.A. and what you'd be experiencing, too, if you did make the move. And my wife might be listening, you know, we got to you know, yeah, 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 left okay. that part out on purpose. Like exactly. That. <laughs> we can talk about that offline, I guess. We can put that in the show notes. Yeah, the show notes. Man, I love, uh, I love talking to people from LA. You guys get all, you get, you get all the angles. Uh, no, that, no, that was a huge piece. Um, when I came out, I mean, you, you showed me the town. You, it wasn't just, Hey, you're taking a job. You're changing your life. It's going to be a whole new experience. And you should see what that experience, you should see what yourself in this life uh, looks like. Because when you move to take a job, you don't just move to take the job, you move everything. Um, so that was, uh, all jokes aside, that was absolutely a huge part uh, of that. Where did we go that night? Do you remember? Someplace in Hollywood, probably went to Sky Bar, right? Probably went. We did go to Sky Bar. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever whatever, was hot at the time. Just showing, yeah, that... showing you that the entourage lifestyle that was on HBO is actually a real thing. Yeah, I was I was all about that show at the time, uh, and you, you definitely hyped that up. And then I, I think someone called me Turtle. I was like, all right, no no more of these analogies. Yeah, I'm like I'm that show to... is not a that's not a comedy. That is a documentary, man. That's that's how we really live here. <laughs> I'm not trying to be Turtle. Yeah. Um, but in the vein of that, helping organizations grow, um, you know, what are some of the things? You know, you work both sides. Tell me about that. There's got to be a lot of differences between working with just sourcing for organizations but then also working with uh the talent and, and and how do you how do you find that balance i mean you found it with me but how do you do that time and time again over all these different organizations that have different needs different uh different goals different cultures that's a good question so i started this consultancy because i wanted to be my authentic self in my work i wanted to i wanted the work i do the way i make money to match who i am as an individual so meaning the same way I'm talking to you now is the same way that I would talk to you at a bar is the same way that I would talk to you. In my like it's you and you know me at this point, right? There's there's very little yeah. distinction between personal and professional. So when I came up that tagline that I really I approached the business and the practice, I want to add value in some way, shape or form to everyone I encounter, whether I make money from it or not. So overall, that's sort of my zeitgeist, right? Like. I want to add value every single day. I, so I do That's this a great base. Yeah. I do this thing in the morning where I set my intentions every day. And, and my intention yesterday was like, yeah, literally tomorrow, everyone I encounter, I want to do something for them. Right. Like, so I, I, I set that out and then it translates into the way I do business. So be it, if I'm working with the client, um, first I approach it with curiosity and I don't assume that I have all the answers. 
right? I, I approach it with curiosity and I get context even before I make a recommendation. So I approach curiosity and humility. I know a lot of consultants think that they are the smartest person in the room. We usually are, but you know, I don't approach it that way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, I listen aggressively and find ways where I can make recommendations. So long-winded way of answering your question, it doesn't really matter if it's a company or if it's an individual, depending on what the situation is, I'm going to customize it to that, that specific situation. And that's one of the benefits of me being small. One of the, I guess one of the fewer benefits of me being a small entity is that instead of using templates and some type of approach that I use with everyone, I can customize the approach and, and help a company the way they need help. So if there's a lot of friction in their process, if the hiring managers don't know how to interview, if diversity and inclusion is a challenge, I can help them with that on the candidate side. If they have interview anxiety, if they, they're out of practice with interviewing, I can customize how I help either the company or the individual. So there is no one cookie cutter approach. That's how I approach it. Does that answer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and I don't want to give away all your trade secrets because you know I'm sure there's a bunch of consultants uh, listening here. They're going, oh yeah, I like this guy. I do the same stuff. Um, but we do, we do want to learn. We do want to share, right? Like that's what it's all about. Yeah. So let's cherry pick whether it's diversity and inclusion or the candidate. What are some of, let's drill down one layer deeper. What are some of the things you might do to help um, a company that's, ha- that's struggling with diversity and inclusion? That's one of the bigger topics right now. And that's one of the bigger topics that's always should have been at the forefront. Yeah. That's finally there. So how do you, what, what are some of the steps you would do there? That's a huge, and I'm working with a company now that is, is actually pretty good, a huge company in the media space that is actually pretty good at it. So I, I, I think it's, I don't think, I know, so, and I'm seeing it firsthand. What they do is it starts at the senior management level where they talk about it, but where the, where this particular company differs is that they don't only talk about it, it's in the company's DNA, in the policies that they have and in their approach that they take. So from the, from the senior level executive all the way down, now it's just what they do and how they do business. It's not even a separate and distinct thing. And I'll get into that in a second, but it's like, it's the equivalent of, I'm going to take two weeks of vacation, right? It's not even an extra thing that they do. It's just what they do. And the way they've done that is, and the way they socialize it is for every single position, every single one. And it's a huge organization. They have to have a diverse candidate slate Great. by policy. Now, if you hire someone without having a diverse candidate slate, you have to get approval from senior level management in order to make that hire. If you're a middle manager, and if you've been a middle manager, you know you probably don't want to have that conversation as to yeah. or make that like why you hired someone without having a diverse can't without having a diverse slate. So now the managers who are doing the hiring are proactive about making sure they have a diverse slate so they don't have to keep because imagine you have to have that conversation more than one time, right? <laughs> yeah, so right. I see it like three t- three times you've come to me you want to hire people without a diverse like what's what's really going on here right like you don't want that kind of attention so yeah. now it becomes part of the culture and it's not an extra thing it's just what you do so now the managers are all right let's make sure we get a diverse candidates a diverse slate and also it's worth mentioning too because language is important um because i hear this sometimes there is no such thing as a diverse candidate 
right? Because then what would be the opposite of that? So, so diversity refers to an assortment, right? Like if you have a diverse stock portfolio, portfolio, that means you have different stocks in your portfolio. You can't have a diverse stock, right? So just that makes sense, yep. right? So the so the length, there is no diverse candidate because that would imply oh there's a standard bearer, right? So then what would that look like? So it's Starting with the language, I think, so this is a way of answering your question, too, as I think about it, senior management and then socializing it throughout the organization using the right language and then course correcting when possible. And then eventually it just takes on a life of its own. And then eventually it's part of the company's DNA. And then you just you just go do what you do. That's great. That That's one of the biggest things whenever I'm in DEI, DEIB, diversity, inclusion, belonging, any of those conversations it's not an initiative. And I hear so many people, oh, we've got this diversity and inclusion initiative. It's like, you're already broken. <laughs> it's not an initiative. It's If it's an initiative to start working to make that part of your DNA, fine. But it's not an initiative. It has to be who you are well, or it's I, not going to work. I couldn't have said it better. I, you, you, you perfectly stated it. Like if you're leaving it up to, and I'll, I'll speak to HR, well, if you're leaving it to HR to do it, then you've already lost. Or if you you leaving it to a singular diversity and inclusion person, you've already lost. It's it's probably not going to happen. It's 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 the it needs to be within the DNA of the organization at the highest level. And also, I should say that we should distinguish between HR and talent acquisition. Those functions are different. Talent acquisition is more akin to employer branding and marketing. HR is compliance and making sure that people are staying within the guardrails. It's administrative, right? It's, but, but talent acquisition is outbound. It's the archetype talent acquisition person knows about employer branding, right? Knows how to attract talent, knows how to engage talent. That's not the, that's not the archetype HR, right? So it, it should be noted that, because I know a lot of companies consider HR and TA to be the same function and they're not. And when you co-mingle them, when you have TA reporting to HR, sometimes you have friction because it's like having sales reporting to accounting. That's the exact analogy. It, it's the entire conversation that we're having too, is what you described is why HR is not effective in the first place, because it is this administrative function. And what my goal and what a lot of the people I'm talking with's goal is to like elevate that human resources or people management or workforce you have to elevate the people around you. HR needs to have a seat at the table with the executives. When executives, when there's a C-suite and there's not someone from HR that has a voice for the tens, hundreds, tens of thousands of people mm -hmm. that are actually making that engine work, it breaks down. So I agree partly because that's the way, what you said is how it is and that's the way it is. The direction it's going is finally that HR needs to be more proactive, needs to be more aggressive and less administrative. And at the same time, you're right. It shouldn't just be, oh, by the way, and go find us some people and get us some resumes. There's an absolute place for talent acquisition. I think talent acquisition, instead of recruiting, especially in the corporate space, I like that because it's its own bubble. It's its own total job role that doesn't tend, if you say recruiting, it tends to get lumped in. If you see talent acquisition, it tends to hold its own and represent that it is a totally different, uh, totally different skill set. So I think we're all agreeing, but just in, you know, it, it's how you look at it, right? I think HR as administrative functions, looking down at your feet, looking in the rear view mirror. I think looking at HR as a 
driving function for from an organization is looking forward uh, and hopefully starting to be looking down at your feet too as where we're at today absolutely and and organizations should empower their hr like like pay them pay them well so you can attract talented people in hr progressive thinkers and empower them to have influence over what happens beyond just letting letting the managers know what the rules are right like empower them to do things because they want to do it right they don't they a lot of them i talk to a lot of them they don't want to just be administrative they want to do things but yeah after you get told no or or you don't have a seat at a table like so after so many times you just you become less engaged well talent acquisition needs that above them fighting for those resources and and understanding the nuances and importance of talent acquisition um, as its own piece so it, it's just this ladder, and that's that's why I like this space so much. Is the conversations that uh, that that are coming about now about progress? Yes, you know what I've seen work really well is when when talent acquisition and HR, like the VP of talent acquisition, the VP of HR, report up to the same person, where you don't have talent acquisition reporting in the HR. They're 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 partners because there is overlap, but but talent acquisition is also partners with marketing and branding partners with that too, right? Like the, if you look at constituent circles, there's some overlap, but, but TA sort of touches, touches all of that. The, the people who do your, like do the events to attract people, that's talent acquisition, right? They're, they're out there. They're on the college campuses. They're in, they're in the cool hotels and all that. That's, that's, yay. Yeah. That's something new that as I'm on this journey to learn all things HR, there's really come in the talent acquisition is marketing for an organization. Absolutely. Um, Tell me a couple, it, you started highlighting, but what are some of the ways that talent acquisition really is in marketing? Like how can a company achieve some of the marketing type of goals through talent acquisition? Like give me some nuts and bolts um, of really how the two are joined or some examples uh, from your work. I, I think when uh, I touched on one, like event, talent acquisition people are good at putting and organizing events. Right. So obviously you would you, you would partner with marketing to do that or whoever does the branding. So that's a way to literally a- attract talent. And that's a way to leverage your talent acquisition team. So they put on a cool event, have the fish jump in the boat. Right. Like even, right. even something I've seen, even something like this. I used to do in it. Um, my company name is True Talk Advisors. That came about because of an event I used to do here that took off called True Talk. I remember that. What we would do is we would host events where we would have interesting and compelling speakers talk for about 10 or 15 minutes. And we would have an open bar. We'd have a DJ. We'd have art. We'd have think we'd have other companies and, and hackathons and, and interesting things happening in the space to attract people. We'd invite companies. So I was using it as a lead funnel, but we never overtly said we're looking for candidates or we're looking for clients. We, we would just invite them. This would happen organically. And then it would be, oh, what do you do? Right? Like I would, yes. up, I would leave it up to the employer. Like all you need to do is get up there and be interesting. And the rest will, you don't have to overtly say we're, we're hiring. If you're interesting, they'll approach you. I like these people. I like what they're doing. Right. I, like how yeah. they, I like how they come to the table. I like how they show up. I like what they're saying. Do you have any openings? Got it. Well, that's what, that's sort of the, the, what, like what a talent acquisition program would do. And companies do that, right? But, but 
there could be a lot more of that sort of attracting people using content to do that. I know it's tough to do events now. Maybe it's getting a little easier now, but as we come out of the pandemic, but that's a big way to show your values and show what you're about. Things along those lines, right? Like that's a, that's a nuts and bolts tactical thing that a company can do to attract people as opposed to just a job posting, which, which, which is cool. You got to have a job posting, but even when you're writing the job posting, there should be some branding in there, right? It should. Absolutely. That's, it, I was it, about to go there. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just Googling a job description and putting it on the website, put your heart, have it speak to what the company is actually about. If it's, if there's a sense of humor at the company, then your job posting should reflect that, right? Like it should, the candidate should feel like they know who you are without necessarily having to experience you. So authenticity helps with that. If you're just Googling a job description or you're having your HR department do it, it's not the same as having having talent acquisition sit down with your marketing department, sitting down with the hiring manager and then collaborating with, yep, that's who we are, right? Like, and some of the, if you look at some of the startup job descriptions, they're fantastic, right? You get a real good sense for, for what yes. you're doing. And the only thing, if this is not you, blah, 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 then you're not for us. However, if you're this way, then we welcome you. I met somebody in our space, uh, Katrina Kibben. She's on Twitter. She's, she's awesome. Her consultancy is just helping organizations write job descriptions. And when I first saw that, I was like, how's like, that's, how do you, is there enough time? Is there enough job? And then I, as I looked through job descriptions, I was like, oh man, we need to multiply this woman. <laughs> she like, that is absolutely needed. And because of that marketing piece that you're talking about that, you know, companies sell themselves out of candidates before they absolutely. even apply. And, and sometimes even the job description inadvertently creates exclusion, right? It's not welcoming, right? It uses exclusive language. You might, you might even see male pronouns, even now, day and age, in a job description, right? Which is crazy. Right. So so there's actually an art to writing a job description to even make it more inclusive. Like, how's that? Right. Like, so it should be even the job description and the language you use can be welcome. There's tools out there now. They're Textio. I don't know how good it is, but I'm I'm experimenting with it where you it's like Grammarly for job descriptions where you run it through Textio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not plugging them. I'm just experimenting. No, no, I haven't heard of it. I just I'm curious, too. Um, You run the job description through there. And it's like Grammarly and it lets you know if you don't have inclusive language. I, I ran one through and it said, you need more explanation points. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, so, so not all of it, I agree with. I'm not an explanation point person, right? But it sort of- I, I got your back on that. Yeah, if you use this word, you would attract more women. Like that's kind of cool, right? So it's like a Grammarly for jobs. So I, I see things going, there's opportunities for enablement technology an approach as companies take on this huge endeavor of being more inclusive. But yeah, that that's that, that's phenomenal. This has been a, I've had so much fun reconnecting with you and the whole conversation's been great. But let's, you know, we we've, we've covered a lot of ground. If we're pulling together all things recruiting now, every all your experiences, what you're seeing good and bad, what can job seekers do now to maximize their presence? trying to find a job and what can organizations do right now to be better in our current state of affairs? I think that'll be kind of tie together everything uh, where we're at. Good question. Individuals can leverage their social media, especially LinkedIn for job seekers. They can use other ones as well, but leverage your social media so that 
and then there's a whole approach too. Like if you are looking to work for, I just had someone talk to me yesterday. So just off the top of my head, her dream is to work for Netflix and I forget in what department she wants to work, but her dream is to work there. So then her, her LinkedIn profile should reflect her point of view on things in that space so that when she reaches out to people, which is the next step, reach out to the people that you might want to work for, reach out to them directly. They don't know who she is. So when they Google her name, something comes up, right? So, so really demonstrate that you really want to work in that space. So they should see articles, they should see posts, they should see content related to what you say you want to do that aligns with what you want to do. So you're not just a resume, right? And LinkedIn is great because you have your, basically you're the CEO of your own media company. So that should really be Love that. Of, of, of what you're about. So now with social media, the way it is, you can really sort of create your own, your own narrative that that's based on exactly what you want to do. So when, when you reach out to strangers, they have a sense of who you are. Part of your question is what should companies do? Yeah. Uh, on the flip side or stop doing, I think companies can be, I would say the mirror, like the advice I would give for job seekers, I would give that same advice for employers and their employer branding to talk, to constantly talk about their culture, what they're about, to put content out so that they can attract the people that they want, especially if you're a startup and you're competing with all the other startups. Because once, you know, if you're a startup, for example, and you get your 30 or $40 million, they all want the same people. So what are you going to do to convince that person to go to you? Well, show them what you're about, show them what you believe, right? Show them what your beliefs are and see if they are aligned, right? Because there are a lot of talented people out there who can pick wherever they want to go. So show them really like, what what do you stand for? What are your values, right? Like, are you like a, are you like a Tom's Shoes where it's important for you to give back? Are you like maybe a Tesla where you're driven by innovation? Like what, what is it that you are about and just put that out there in your content and then people will come to you. Love that perspective. That's a hundred percent. Luttrell, it's been a pleasure. Let's, uh, let's see each other in real life when it's uh, safe I'm, and appropriate. It makes I'm sense. Man. I'm, I'm, quadru- I'm quadruple vaxxed. I'm uh, ready, <laughs> ready to go. All right. This has been a fantastic episode. I've had a blast reconnecting with, with you, Luttrell. And uh, let's, uh, let's definitely get back and do this again soon. Will you come okay. back? Any, anytime. My man. All right. I want to thank our, People Element, our sponsor. I want to thank Laura, our producer, for putting this together. I want to thank all of you for listening uh, right along with us. Hopefully, you have learned as much as I have today all about HR. Have a great day. Appreciate it.